Welcome to the Seahawks 360 Podcast, a Sports Ethos production. I am your host, Candace Higgins, and it is always both a pleasure and a privilege to talk Hawks with you, especially this time of year. We are beginning to get in the thick of it in training camp, and the competition is absolutely heating up in multiple positions. There's definitely a lot to cover. We're going to talk about some of the things that happened at training camp, just some of my general takeaways, some of the trends and themes that we're seeing from the team, some things to look forward to, some maybe even some things to be concerned about. We'll talk about it all. we got a lot to get into, so let's talk Hawks. Over the past week, there has been a lot of information regarding training camp and just some common themes we're seeing Some things to definitely get excited about, like I said before. One of the things that a lot of the reporters have come back mentioning, and I don't think this can be talked about enough, is just how physical this training camp has been. Every reporter, especially those first few days uh, of this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the, the reports were just pouring in, and every reporter was just talking about how physical, how hard hitting. Uh, these camps were, how competitive, the competitive juices flying around and smack talking. And there were even a few fights, D- DK Metcalf and, and Daryl Taylor kind of got into it. Both, both things are fine. There's nothing to get alarmed about. That's just kind of the, the, the fire that you want. You, you want these guys to get amped up. You, you want them to be competitive and because they would be, they would be the same way if they weren't playing each other. So they know that they're going to have each other's backs at the end of the day. But you just want that competition, that physicality. That's what football is. That's what football is about. And it seems like this camp is embracing that. I can't recall, at least any time in recent years, that that has been just such a strong characteristic about the camp to this point. It's It's always been, you know, good takeaway. So that's... That's not to say anything, but this team is just full of young, hungry players. Everybody's trying to prove something. Everybody feels like they have an opportunity to get a, get a spot on this roster because more than ever, there are just some spots that have opened up with the trading of Russell Wilson and the cutting of Bobby Wagner. It just opens up a lot of opportunities. This team is just going in a different direction in these players sense that this is a great opportunity for them and they are looking to take absolute full advantage of it they're not holding back they're they're going all in and of course they're taking care of each other along the way but they got a they got something to prove these guys seem to have some chips on their shoulders and that's the kind of football that at least I would like to see it sort of reminds me of a 2011 Seahawks team that had a lot of young players with things to prove with chips on their shoulder. And it's not the same. It's not the exact same chemistry or mock-up. You can't recreate the 2011 team, point blank, period. And I don't think they're trying to create, to recreate it, but to, to it is refreshing, at least to me, to really see this team go back to its roots, to what made it successful, to what this team, to what the Seattle city, to what the fan base rallied around. And that was the underdog mindset. The, we don't care who you are. We have no fear. We've got something to prove mindset. That's to me something you got to love. It's what made me fall in love with this team and its culture. And I'm sure it is a big part of, it has a special part in all of you guys' hearts as well. And so that's something that's exciting to see. 
there are get as a result there have been a few injuries here and there. Jordan Brooks had a minor ankle um he had a minor ankle tweak. Sidney Jones is in concussion protocol. D. Eskridge has yet to see the field. Maybe we'll talk about that in a later podcast, but Deatrice got yet to see the field. Now, he has been dressing. He's been in pads. He's been doing some work, some light work on the side. He's not yet been able to fully participate at any point during training camp. So we'll continue to monitor that. But outside of that, those are the only injuries that you've really seen from this team. And that's pretty good, especially considering how physical this camp has been to this point. So that's one thing that stood out. Another thing is the speed. And I think that was apparent early before training camp even started, which is how fast this team really is on both offense and defense. You got absolute playmakers like DK Metcalf and Tyra Lockett. And then you throw in a Marquise Goodwin, who is an Olympian, who's got Olympian speed. You also got guys like Tariq Woolen on defense, who seems to be doing a very good job of keeping up with guys that fast. Jordan Brooks can fly. J- Josh Jones, who has, who made a, really made a, an appearance and really made sort of a, a stamp for himself towards the end of the season in that Cardinals game when he had to play. He made some plays and he stood out and he has continued to build on that foundation in training camp. He seemed to be flying around and absolutely laying the wood. There's just so much speed and physicality that you that you really love. That's not a combination that you often see too often. Um, physical sometimes means slowing it down, grinding it out, getting it ugly. And I'm not. That's not saying that this team won't have some ugly games because I think it'll have plenty. <laughs> In fact, it's it's fair to predict that most of these games will be ugly, win or loss. But to still be able to provide some speed, some finesse. To that, it's just a rare combination that I think will be fun to watch this season. So I'm excited to see how that looks on the preseason in the upcoming preseason game that will take place on Saturday. Another thing, though, that's not so exciting that you don't love to hear is that the quarterbacks have been struggling in the red zone. And that's been really the case this whole week. This whole week, it seemed to be a reoccurring thing that even more so it than it was the week before. They weren't doing great at the red zone the week before, but it just seemed like the offense was more boggled down than ever, especially in those red zone positions. They, at one point, had 18 attempts within the 20-yard line and no touchdowns. That's concerning, to say the least. You don't want to hear that, especially when this team has been good at red zone efficiency under the tenure of Russell Wilson for so long. And you didn't expect to be able to keep up with the efficiency of Russell Wilson with him being traded. But 18 tries to not have any success is concerning. That is a concern. Ultimately, you win games by putting points on the board. And neither one of these quarterbacks have really shown a consistent ability to do that. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but consistently, that's something that's been a reoccurring theme. And I'd even say that's the case with Geno more than it is with Drew. That's even more so the case after the mock game. We'll talk about the mock game takeaways here in our next segment. But with Geno, I think it's just a, a timing thing for him. I think he's really got to play faster 
in a way that doesn't allow for the corner for the cornerbacks to get their hands on these balls because there's a ton of pass deflections and don't get me wrong our cornerbacks have been lights out they've been playing lights out in training camp to this to this point they've been showing out making plays pass deflections interceptions just absolutely bothering and not making it easy for our very talented Right. Well, I'm not going to say wide receiver room because it does drop off after DK and Tyler Lockett, but making it difficult for players like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, who we know are elite players. So that says something in their ability to kind of get in those guys' faces and make it difficult. But it also says something about the quarterback. It shouldn't be that consistent that the cornerbacks are able to make that many plays and be so dominating. Uh, so that you'd, you'd like to see a little bit more balance. You'd love to continue to see the cornerbacks making plays, pass defections, interceptions. You'd love to see all that. But you just want to see it a little bit less. You want to see a little bit more offensive efficiency, ability to score, touchdowns, because this team is going to need that point blank period. Speaking of the cornerbacks, I will be remiss not to talk about what is officially, hands down, the most competitive room at this point. The competition is absolutely on at the cornerback position. That is one of the main takeaways. There was not a day of practice that goes by where people aren't just raving about how impressive these cornerbacks have been and how deep this room is. Now, this is something that I anticipated. I anticipated that this would be one of the deepest rooms. But, you know, I didn't think it would be number one. And it seems like it is number one. You start off and you've got Sidney Jones and Artie Burns who have been taking most of the first team reps because they are more veteran savvy. Artie Burns, have having had his second year in this defense, seems to be taking really nicely to it. And he seems to be getting particularly under the skin of DK Metcalf, who has struggled not to, 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 to be able to get catches and re, really be effective and really be a factor. He has struggled with Artie Burns guarding him, and that is in no small part due to his ability to properly match up against him to get in his head even when they played together in, in in last year against the Bears DK Metcalf did not have a good game that's because Artie Burns was covering him so those are things that you like to see and those guys are really making a push to be the starters but then you have rookie players like Kobe Bryant who though had struggles towards the end of training camp has made plenty of flashes and plays Pass affections and interceptions himself. He's just been all over the place, putting himself in proper position to um, really make plays for the defense. I think positioning is important, and he seems to have a knack for just being at the right place at the right time. He seems to have a knack for just being a ball hawk kind of a player. And this is something that this team has missed, particularly over the past few years. A lot of the sources of interceptions for the Seahawks have been due to Quandre Diggs at safety. His interceptions have been some of the only ones. <laughs> Last year, it, he did have the only receptions for the team until DJ Reed had two towards the very like final week of the NFL, I believe. And that just goes to show you how poorly the cornerbacks over the past few years have, how inefficient they have been at getting turnovers. Even pass deflections have been few and far between. And so you love to see a rookie like Kobe Bryant come in and really get, he got a lot of the first team reps when 
uh, Sidney Jones went out. You saw Kobe Bryant come in and play well. He did get burned by Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett burns a lot of cornerbacks. I wouldn't be particularly discouraged by that. He's new. He's going to take his lumps. That's what you expect from a rookie. But the flashes that he has shown really gets me encouraged. He's going to be a solid guy for this team going forward. And kind of when when training camp started, Tariq Woolen was the most exciting prospect by far just because of his sheer size, 6'4", 4'2", speed, long arms. He was the prototype of what Pete Carroll would want, but he just didn't have the experience. He only started 14 games at cornerback, being a converted wide receiver. And everybody kind of assumed that he would be a project. He was going to be raw. He was not going to be polished enough to push in the starting competition. Probably after a year, the hope was that he would be able to better contribute, meaningful snaps, maybe push for a starter spot after a year of sort of getting his feet from under him. But with each and every practice, each and every opportunity, Tariq Woolen seems to be making, taking absolute advantage of the opportunities given to him. And he's making a strong push in a case to even start over Kobe Bryant because of his athleticism and his speed and just all the physical tools that he has. He hasn't yet to this point, and it's still early, but he hasn't yet shown any true liabilities. I have, I, mean, I haven't heard any oppor- uh, anything where he's just done something wrong. And I'm sure he's not been perfect every play, but even plays that, you know, the the wide receiver gets a reception. He was always here that he's just he was in perfect position. That was just luck. That was just better offense. It was just better ability. There was nothing more from a defensive perspective that he could have done. I'm not hearing a lot about him getting flags, which was my number one concern. I didn't think that Tariq Willem would be ready to go year one because I thought he would probably have too many tendencies to hold, to pull, might still need to work on the technique. But that doesn't seem to be stopping him. He seems to be putting it together far quicker than I think anybody anticipated. And so you've got him coming up the ranks while Sidney Jones and Artie Burns haven't done anything to to lose their spot. But these rookies are pushing them, pushing for playing time, pushing for opportunities. And how can you not consider it getting your rookies out there on a rookie year deal, guys who could really make the difference for you long term? It's tempting. What what decision? The coaching staff decides to go with, I don't know. Now, I think you're going to see these guys rotate out pretty frequently, I would think, just because you, you want to you want to get, especially your rookies, some reps, and you want to spell your quarter, your cornerbacks from time to time. And that's not something Pete Carroll ha, has historically done, but we saw him do more of that last year, I feel, in order to kind of get everybody and see where they fit in. He did some more switching than he has done in the past. I'm hoping that trend continues because these are guys, no matter who starts, these are guys who you want to see competing for minutes and playing, making contributions to the Seahawks roster in year one. They're just too talented. I haven't even started talking about Trey Brown, who showed excellent flashes in his short time in a small window as a rookie. He is smaller in statue, but he is aggressive. He's got great football instincts. He seems to similar to Kobe Bryant, know where to be, the right place at the right time. He's very good at press. And he just 
has a knack for this. He just is a natural, aggressive, good cornerback. And he hasn't even gotten the opportunity to enter this competition. So he's still coming as he recovers from his Achilles injuries, I believe what it was for him. So you hope that he can come back and be able to compete. Right now, he is just simply behind the curve. It's unfortunate for him because I thought that if there was going to be somebody to start, it would have been Trey Brown when he got healthy. I just didn't think that the rookies were going to be in a position to be able to start. I was wrong. I'll just I'll just flat out say that. I was wrong. And these guys have absolutely come out and showed out so far in training camp. So that's something that you absolutely love to see. And a couple of other quick notes of training camp before we move on. Cody Barton. Cody Barton, who I I will go on record as being very concerned about. I have my concerns about Cody Barton, particularly from a run perspective. I've seen him just get absolutely picked on in the run game especially and just bulldozed over and it's not pretty i've also seen him have lapses in pass coverage not supposed to be his calling card that's supposed to be the one thing he's good at and i've seen him struggle at times on the field when he's been given snaps and these are limited opportunities i'll give you but i just hadn't i have concerns and he's shown me enough for those concerns to be valid when he's played on the field sometimes it's not always bad but, you know, I just have always wondered, is he a starter caliber kind of guy? Is he more of a rotation, more of a backup linebacker? I mean that he's more of a backup, but he's got his opportunity to prove. The coaching staff has waited. They, they had, he hadn't really got a lot of opportunities because being in front of Bobby Wagner and having Jordan Brooks drafted. And now it's his chance to, to prove to this team and to this league that he is a starter at the linebacker position. And I've heard some positive things coming out of camp from him, that he's made some plays, some impact plays on blitz, that he's made some pass breakups. Those are things you want to hear. You want to hear his – you want to see that he's making a difference on the field. Sometimes, to me, he could disappear. And so it's really good that even if he is at times a liability in the run, even if he doesn't fix that, if he can show flashes and the ability to make plays on defense, that's going to go a long way especially on a team where the defense will have to kind of carry, I think, some of the brunt of the load here. And you can't really afford, I don't think, for any position to be a weak link on defense because there's going to be a weak enough link at the most important position in football, and that's the quarterback position. So with that, that's encouraging to see. We'll continue to monitor it. I hope to see progressive plays from him. I don't I think Cody is a great guy. He's waited his turn and he certainly deserves this opportunity just from a uh, you, you want to see what he had. You want to give him a shot before you let him go in free agent. So you can decide if you, you really want him on this team. And if he's able to take advantage of it, that's even better. So something to monitor. And one more thing that should be noted and it's is pretty new developing. So we'll continue to track this into week two. But the past three practices. Abe Lucas seemed to take the seemed to be taking a lot of the starting reps for the offensive line. Originally, it was Jake Curhan, the undrafted free agent, and lately Abe Lucas has been pushing him. He has been taking all of the starting starting roles, and that's led to more flags. From what I understand, there's been more penalties. It's looked rough at times, and so they're giving him a shot at the one. We'll see if he'll be able to maintain it. I don't think 
and this could be wrong, but just from the things I've heard, I'm not sure that, that the offensive line had as many penalties with Jake Curhan as they have with both Cross and Lucas, two rookies, and that's to be expected. So that's nothing new. You can easily see that coming. But in my opinion, it's going to be a great or interesting thing to watch and see if he can improve in that run game. I have no concerns whatsoever about Abe Lucas from a pass protection perspective. Zero concerns. But the run game is going to be so critical for this team this year. It's going to carry the offense. It's going to have to carry the offense because the quarterback position is just a weak link at this point. And so what you want to see is a dominant enough run game to offset that, to help keep the chains moving. And while I would love to see a Lucas step into that role, if he can prove that he can be a, that he can run block effectively and, and be pretty good at it, then I'd love for him to start. I really would love to get him those reps early. But I'll go down saying Jake Curhan is the better at run blocking. And since run blocking is much more important this year, I don't know. I still I still lean towards it being better to start Curhan, at least to start the season. I don't think you have to keep Curhan in for the whole year, but at least to start Curhan, make sure the running games gets off to a good start. And, you know, hey, see see where things go from there. If Abe Lucas can get better and improve in that area, take over, great. But I just want to make sure that the run game doesn't suffer because that's going to be so important to the Seahawks' success. Now, if Abe Lucas really is just getting better at run blocking, then great. And I digress. But I'm not sure about that just from the early signs of, of his uh, and we'll talk more about that here in a couple minutes in the mock game. But just from the early signs, the run game hadn't exactly thrived with Abe Lucas starting. And on top of the penalties, too, something to continue to watch. I'm not – I want to make it clear I'm not against Abe Lucas starting. I just want to make sure that the best person wins, truly. And I do put more emphasis on the run game this year than the past because of our quarterback situation, like I said. So – Training camp has had some interesting trends, some encouraging signs, some things that you don't want to hear, but that are true. And so we'll consider the money money to those things, but the full week of training camp led to a culminating, very important first mock game for the Seattle Seahawks this past Saturday. So yesterday, there was a mock game that took place. It was not something that was live streamed, so I was not able to watch it, but I kept my ear to the ground. Heard a lot of the comment- commentation from the reporters, read a lot of feedback, listened to the press conferences, and I've got some conclusions and some takeaways from the mock game coming up. This past Saturday, the Seahawks took the field for the first time in their first mock game. And this was a really important benchmark, especially in the quarterback race. Up until this point, Geno had had a pretty strong lead on the quarterback race. He had all of the fir- a lot of the first team reps. Drew Locke did have some first team opportunities, so he would do he would have first team reps with the wide receivers and the tight ends, and then the next practice he would have he would have some practice with the first team offensive line. But he had not played against the first team defense 
at any point in training camp. And so Geno had, so it was always hard to compare. Yes, Drew Locke had touchdowns, but he played against the second string defense. Geno played against the first string defense. Did that make a difference in performance? And so this was the first time that they took equal snaps, both playing against the first and second defenses, both playing with the first and second sets of our receivers to really compare who could take the most and who can make the most out of the situation that they were being placed in. And Drew Locke very handedly won that game, hands down. Now, both quarterbacks got off to a hot start. Geno Smith throwing for six of eight for his first drive. He started off strong, not missing passes, just methodically marching down the field, which was great to see. Drew Locke came behind him and didn't miss his first 12 passes, which is incredible. He had, he was 12 for 12 at one point to start. And then the second half really kind of got away from both of these guys. I'm pretty sure that they would have wanted to end on a stronger note than they both begin, especially for Geno Smith. Smith finished his mock game throwing 10 for 19. For 94 yards, he had no passing touchdowns. And Geno's biggest problem, like I said, after that first drive where he came in hot, was really, I've I've referred to this before, but just getting the ball out too late. And then sometimes he made some poor decisions that almost got him intercepted, quite frankly. So he was nearly picked. He, I'm not going to say he was careless with the ball. He tried to be effective, but... His biggest issue is he's got to get out to get those balls out quicker because if not, it just gives the cornerback an opportunity to play on the ball. And with these corners, they're going to do that. And most NFL corners will. And so that stalled out drive after drive after drive. And he just wasn't able to get anything going really much past that. He missed his following four. He only made four of his next 11 passes. So you just really hate. To see that go in that direction, this was really a letdown for Geno. He sort of did not take advantage of the opportunity, and I'm sure that he wished that he could do better, especially in that second half. Drew Locke, on the other hand, started out absolutely fire high, 12 for 12, and you couldn't expect it to go on, right? He he did settle things down, and things kind of came back down to earth for him in the second half. Also something you not want to see. You really want to see your, the quarterback's finish on a stronger note than they start if you have to pick a side, if they can't be consistent throughout the whole thing. But Drew Locke still had a very, very strong showing. He ended up finishing his game going 18 for 27 for 185 yards, and he had the only touching, he had the only touchdown that was passing for the night. So it was really great to see Drew Locke showed his ability. It's not just that he had good statistic numbers. Drew Locke really made some smart decisions. There were some times where you, where it was reported that you could see him sort of pump fake and maybe think about taking a big throw that might be risky, and he would just instead take the check down. That's something you love to see from any quarterback, especially coming off the Russell Wilson era where that seeing those opportunities were few and far between. Generally, Russ would throw that ball, and he'd be better at it than obviously Drew Locke would be. So his chances were much better at completing it. 
But it's still just good to see see him, especially knowing that his decision making has been one of his biggest needs for growth. To just see him be intentional about taking the opportunities and just getting those extra two or three yards. He even talked about it in his press conference. It's better to be a second and seven than second and ten. And that goes a long way in the NFL. And he is absolutely correct. That is absolutely the right mindset that you want to see from him. And yet, in this game, Pete Carroll was still uncommitted. He was uncommitted to, really, he said that Drew Locke statistically had the better game, but that he needed to go back and look at the film to really see if if it passed the eye test, essentially. And I think that it did. I think those smart, efficient decisions that were made is exactly the type of thing that you want to see from Drew Locke. No one had a question about Drew Locke's ability to throw the ball better or to have more versatility in his offensive game than, than Geno Smith. The question was, who would be able to be the better decision-making maker, the better leader, to really rally this team together? And I thought personally, as you all know, that that would be Geno. But Geno not just in this mind game, but throughout training camp, has consistently had more turnovers, more interceptions. More, I'm not going to say more ill-advised throws per se, but just putting the ball in harm's way more frequently. So to me, yeah, it's still very early in training camp, but to me, Drew Locke has actually shown the higher floor as he's made less mistakes. Now, Drew Locke has not been able to prove that he can do that in a real game situation, and so that has yet to be seen. And Geno has proven that he can do that, and I think that's still where Geno takes the edge. But in terms of training camp to training camp, Locke was cooking. Should we just let Locke cook? I don't know. I'm getting to question it. I'm beginning to question it. I'm, I'll tell you what. You know, I've been an advocate for Gino, but really I'm for, and I am, I am, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm still hoping that Gino can rally together, but if Gino doesn't prove that he's the best quarterback, not just for, I'm not, I'm not looking for, well, who can give us the most upside long-term because I don't feel like any of these quarter, either one of these quarterbacks are going to be, they're not long-term options. All of these are just one-year options. Even if Drew Locke has a great year, he is not going to be the future franchise quarterback of this team. That's not – he's he's mediocre at best. Still, even if he puts it all together, at best he can give you a Baker Mayfield ceiling. And that's not what this team is looking for. They're not looking to rebuild just to have an average quarterback at best who they still have to pay because he'd no longer be on a rookie deal. So I'm not considering for this year – I'm not considering who has the higher upside because it doesn't matter. Neither one of these guys are long-term options, period. If they were, they would have proved it by now. So since they have not, these are stop gaps. And so the only thing that I care about is who has the highest floor, who can navigate the offense, make the least amount of turnovers, make the proper reads, the best decisions, and have the leadership qualities to rally this team together good time or bad time. That's all I care about. And that's, I think, mostly what Pete cares about. He still feels like Geno has the edge with that. But I'm starting to question, because if Geno can't quickly fix his issue with getting the ball out quickly, he's going to 
turn over the ball more. He's, I mean, he's going to put the ball in harm's way just by not fixing that, not because he made the improper reads or not because he made an ill-advised throw. And also you want somebody who can keep this offense going, who can keep the chains moving. If Geno's going to stall out after second and third down because he can't get the ball out quick enough and the cornerback deflects it, then this offense is just stagnant. He only had 94 yards. Geno had 185 yards. That's such a staggering difference. And and it's not like Drew Locke was just throwing it all over the place. He took some short plays. I mean, he had maybe one big play here or there. Like, he, he didn't really have a lot of big plays. It wasn't a lot of chunk plays. It just wasn't him throwing it down the field. He made the best decisions, which is the thing that you're watching out for him most. And if he can do that better than Geno, then I say go with Drew Locke. Now, I'm still in my heart really hoping Geno can pull this out. Because, like I said, it, I'm, it does not matter about upside for Drew Locke. Because he ain't staying on this team. Drew Locke's not coming back next year, no matter what. He's just not. This team is looking to get draft a rookie corner, quarterback and develop, them, develop him and try to build their roster, a Super Bowl roster they're hoping, around that quarterback on his rookie contract. They're seeing that as their best window. They're looking to get one of the best competitive advantages in football, and I'm not upset with them for trying to do that because that's exactly what it is. You got an elite quarterback or even a pretty good quarterback on a rookie deal. You put enough pieces around him, he can take you to the he can take you on a deep playoff run. That's just how it works. We've seen it time and time again. And that's the window that you want to try to take advantage of. The Seahawks are looking to do just that. Now, one last note about the quarterback battle. Something that's interesting is I, I wonder if history is repeating itself a bit here. And it's still too early to tell for sure. We'll really get some answers after we see these preseason games. But last year, reports were that Drew Locke flat out beat Teddy Bridgewater in training camp. But yet, Teddy Bridgewater was still named the starter. That was for a variety of reasons, leadership, and all of that. But I just wonder if history is repeating itself. And I'll tell you why I'm wondering that. The Seahawks had practice today. It was a, it was a walkthrough, low contact, no pads. But after a strong showing from Drew Locke in Saturday's game, the very next practice, he was still playing exclusively with the twos, which was a downgrade from where he was because prior to the mock game, he had been mixing it in with getting some wide receiver work with some wide receiver ones, some O-line ones, not at the same time, but still he was getting some work in with those starting positions. And for him on the very next practice to go to working exclusively with the twos at practice, I find it be interesting. And it could just be because it's a walkthrough. So I'll throw that out there. But I'll be honest, I really hope history isn't repeating itself. I honestly want whoever honestly earns the position to do it. Whoever proves that they can make the best decisions. That's what I care most about. I, like Pete Carroll, am not looking for upside. But I am looking for who can put the offense in the best position and make the best decisions and play within the confines of what the scheme allows. That's what I'm looking for. That's what Pete's looking for. And I love Geno. I'm rooting for him. The team loves Geno. The players love Geno. But if Geno doesn't earn that spot, he's going to lose some respect anyway. 
if it, if the team knows that Drew Locke really earned that spot and they plug in Geno just to plug in Geno, I'm not with that. I'm with let the best man win. And I'll be honest, I thought the best man floor-wise was going to be Geno. But that's not proving to be true. It's still early. Things can change for Geno. Things can change for Drew Locke. And the Seahawks can make it a little bit more of an even competition. But there has been some complaints, rightfully so, about the quarterback competition not being that competitive. All of these other positions we're talking about at corner and Right tackle, there's been some chains-ups in the starting and who starts and who doesn't. There's just been – the competition is clearly there. But at the quarterback position, that's not been the case so much. Now, that's generally always the case in football. It's always compete unless you're the quarterback. Pretty much. <laughs> that's true. But I just still think given the situation of two quarterbacks have who have not – Proven that they are starting quality, you'd think that that'd be more competition than what the Seahawks have allowed for. Now, it could be a gradual thing. Maybe they're waiting for a preseason game to make any changes to ones, twos. That makes sense to me. It seems like the, their approach has been anything Drew Locke gets, he's going to have to earn. I don't dislike that approach. If that's where they're going with it and they're going to as Drew, as Drew continues to be consistent, if they're going to give him more and more opportunities with the ones as he earns it, I'm fine with that because I think Drew Locke needs that, to be honest. Given his flaws, given where he's come from, where people did say he maybe needed to be humbled a little bit, I think he needs to work his way into, like I said, this decision-making part. So can you be consistent enough with that? You can only prove that over time. When it comes to decision making, it's not just a, I got it one day and, I, and it's there from then on out. You have to prove that over time. And if that's what they're looking for, I'm on board. But I just hope that this really is going to be a quarterback competition and that Drew can continue to push Geno like he's doing because the heat is there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Geno's feeling the heat right about now from <laughs> just the f- absolute fire that Drew Locke has shown out there on the field to this point. In other notes, moving on just from the quarterback battle, there were other takeaways from the mock game, one of which is just how many young players that we have that could really be stars. This draft could be foundational for the Seahawks, and it seems to really be going that direction, and that's so exciting. Ken Walker Jr., sorry, Ken Walker Third, had an absolute standout, and his numbers won't blow you away especially when you want to talk about the run game. The run game was a struggle at best. It'd be nice to say that that, this, that the run game, that nobody had more than 19 yards. DJ Dallas led with five carries, 19 yards. That's not impressive. I think they really wanted to let the quarterbacks kind of air it out a bit. And I think the run game did struggle sometimes, especially depending on which line, you know, was it the first starting lineup or the second lineup? I think I think that wasn't consistent but Ken Walker he had five carries 16 yards like I said that's not going to blow you away but what I found interesting is that he actually had the fourth most receiving yards on the team and he was a running back he's the only running back on the receiving yards list anyway and he had four catches for 29 yards so that's exciting because he's I've, there's been reports about his ability to be a threat 
from the receiver perspective. And a lot of people did not think that he'd be able to provide that to a team just because he wasn't used that way in college. But it does. It seems like he's extremely capable. The Seahawks haven't even really focused on running backs in the receiving game that much. But for him to be getting these kind of looks to have 29 yards and be the only running back to have that kind of those kind of numbers or be on this list at all for receiving yards, to me that just speaks to his talent. I think this kid is going to be special, especially if he can stay healthy. I'm really excited to see him. You got other standouts like Daryl Taylor, who was a problem to block this mock game, no matter who was starting. And you are talking about some rookie tackles, and so <laughs> you take that with a grain of salt there. But Daryl Taylor, just his speed, his bend off the edge, the flashes that I've seen from him, I couldn't see it in the mock game, but just in camp, he looks explosive. He just looks ready, and he this kid looks like he can have a monster breakout year if he can really put it all together. So I'm excited for him. Derek Young seems to be the wide receiver that I hear about the most, who is really, you know, putting his ring, who's really standing out in this wide receiver competition. There's really not been a lot of talk about the wide receiver competition. That's a little disappointing because I think that it's it's something interesting to watch is who gets the wide receiver three, four, five positions. And Derek Young, even over Bo Melton, has consistently throughout training camp been mentioned as making plays taking advantage of the opportunities that he gets. And that's something that you want to see, especially with a player like D. Eskridge who has not yet been able to stay healthy long enough to prove anything. You really want to see this rookie class set itself up to be the foundation of the future for this Seahawks team. You see Tariq Woolen making plays. We've talked about him. Abe Lucas making a push in the right tackle position. This really just looks like a strong class for the Seattle Seahawks. And after a history of bad drafts, this draft couldn't have been needed more. They've still got to go out and prove it. They've still got to show us what they can do. There's still a lot of football to be played. We haven't even really gotten started yet. But these are exciting developing notes to, to really, you know, really make you think about how quickly this turnaround could be. This does not have to be a five-year rebuild process. If the Seahawks, if the Seahawks continue to, to go right, to go, to go in the right direction, develop their rookies, have one more strong, solid class, pick the right quarterback, the Seahawks can be right back in contention next year. I believe that if some of these rookies really show out the way that I think they can, if they really show their potential, this 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 could be a really quick rebuild for the Seattle Seahawks, and that would be exciting for the fan base and for myself who covers the team. So that's all we're going to talk about for the mock game. There is a preseason game coming up on Saturday. Excited to finally see some official football from the Seattle Seahawks. We will do a midweek podcast this this year I mean sorry this week <laughs> excuse me there we will do a midweek report now that we have games coming so I'll kind of give you a preview my thoughts and we'll also do a post game so we'll have more podcasts coming dropping out as we get closer into the season it's that time of year that's all we have the time for guys I really appreciate it before we get out of here I wanted to give a shout out to Cruise Beans 
one thing that I mentioned before on another one of my podcasts was that if you gave a five-star review, you would absolutely get a shout out on this podcast. And so I wanted to give a quick thanks to Cruise Beans for giving a five-star review to our, to the 360, to Seahawks 360 podcast. He says, love the Hawks and love this show. Go Hawks. Thanks, Cruise Beans. Appreciate that. Thank you all for sharing. We're continuing to grow. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear your feedback. Give your feedback on Twitter and share with friends, with other fans of not just the Seahawks, but the NFL that you know. We're doing our absolute best to put out quality football content for you as we get close to kick off this NFL season. Let's try to enjoy it all together, guys. Well, guys, that's all the time we have for today. You can find me on Twitter. I am your host, Candace Hagens. Find me on Twitter at CandaceH901. That's CandaceH901. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Ethos Seahawks, where you get your polls, get your interactive content. We throw our statistics and analysis throughout your week. You want to make sure that you don't miss anything there. So give us a follow. Uh, make sure to share with any of the 12 that you know. Appreciate you guys. That's all I got. That's it. And as always, go Hawks.